Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Hits Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right. Good evening, everybody. And once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. And of course, we are live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And uh, obviously, if you're listening to the broadcast, you're joining us live. But for those of you that uh, are a little curious on where to go, there's a lot of great places. And you'll hear those at the end of the show, um, some of the other great areas that you can tune in to listen to the, to the show. But uh, generally, if you go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live, uh, during the live broadcast, of course, it will be front and center. But for some reason, if you can't join us live, not to worry. You can just go to that link, blogtalkradio.com forward slash golftalklive, and just scroll down to the on-demand section, and you'll see all of the previously aired shows, including tonight's, will be up there after the end of the broadcast. Uh, you can listen to the recorded version uh, in its entirety there and any other episodes that maybe you've missed. So don't forget to check that out. Uh, I'm going to be joining here in just a moment with uh, two great gentlemen who have been on the show many, many times over the last several years, uh, 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 both as guests but also as uh, regular panelists, if you will, on the Coach's Corner. And a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by my very special guest. I'm very excited to have him on, BJ Staten. Uh, he is, uh, has been a member of the PGA and the Corn Ferry Tours as a professional, uh, played on both, and uh, as well as some of the other mini tours as well. And we're going to talk to him about uh, his uh, time getting into golf, uh, a little bit about his experiences on the tour and what he's doing now, and uh, a few other things. We'll see what we can throw in there, maybe everything including the kitchen sink, if you will. But all right, let me uh, introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel, and we'll get into this evening's discussion. All right, first up is a good friend, Pete Buchanan. He is the founder and director of instruction and owner of Plain Simple Golf, LLC. Uh, which, of course, houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and the Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace. Uh, he's been playing, uh, or been, excuse me, helping golfers uh, focus on building a repeatable swing, and he's been teaching golf for over 30 years. Uh, so a lot of experience there. Uh, also joining on the panel tonight is another good friend, is Tim Kramer. Uh, he is a visionary peak performance mind coach, uh, president and founder of Peak Performance Mind Coaching, a program utilizing innovative and pioneering mind coaching techniques, and he's also a contributing editor uh, with Golf Tips magazine. So, gentlemen, welcome to Coach's Corner. Thank you. Thank you, Ted. Good to be here. All right. Well, I, I appreciate it. Um, thank you, as always. And uh, just a, a special note, uh, particularly to you, Pete, thanks for, for swapping with Clint uh, for the uh, – uh, for this uh, week, I know that you uh, had some other things going on on your regular scheduled time, and I appreciate you guys swapping out. So thanks for, for jumping in tonight. Um, all right, so so guys, as I was mentioning to you before we ended up going live, 
uh, we're going to talk about really um, some of the things that we can do as an industry, uh, both within the industry and even outside the industry, that we can do to really get after uh, a demographic, uh, if you will, of new golfers. And, of course, I'm talking about the millennials and, uh, of course, the gen- uh, Generation Z, if you will, to get them more interested in golf. And, and let me just preface this a little bit. And this is what I was sort of starting to say before we ended up going live. Um, you know, when I grew up, and I'm sure you guys are, are probably in a, in a similar situation, you know, my father introduced me to the game, and uh, my mother did play a little bit as well. She didn't play regularly, but she played a fair bit of golf. So I had, you know, sort of an introduction through family uh, to the game. But a lot of folks out there don't. Uh, there's a lot of parents, especially some of the younger parents out there, that maybe didn't have that exposure to golf. Um, and so as their kids are now getting a little bit older, um, they're not apt to introduce them. So it, it sort of leaves a conundrum, if you will, for the industry is to how do we really uh, target that market, that that sort of open market, and get them interested in playing the game, and what is it going to take to do that? What is it going to take to get them interested? Uh, because times have obviously changed, um, and they have their own interests, and they have a, a lot different um, approach to life in general. So there's a lot of different things to unpack here, and we're going to talk about some of them tonight on the panel here. Um, so I'm going to start off, and, and Pete, if you don't mind, I'm going to start with you. And I'm going to specifically frame this from a professional standpoint, from a golf professional, uh, whatever capacity uh, you want to take this from, uh, what can we do to encourage, and, and maybe you can give some examples of things that you've done to really go after that market, that sort of millennial Gen Z, if you will, or that younger market, uh, and get them interested in golf. Pete, I'm not sure if you're muted or... I must be. There we go. Hey, Ted, thanks for uh, yeah, again, thanks for having me on. And Tim, looking forward no to the conversation. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, you know, one of the things we've been doing here is, is um, you know, we do some work with the, the local school districts, with Parks and Rec, and also with the CYC, which is the Catholic Youth Council, and getting, you know, the second to fifth to eighth graders uh, interested in coming out and doing some clinics. And it's a great way to introduce them to the game. And, you know, we have quite a bit of, of kids that are there. Um, we've been doing these for probably about uh, six weeks now, a couple of nights a week. Um, and we usually average between 30 and 50 kids a session. And so it's really, really neat to get them out and, you know, just you know, tackling that piece of, of, of the golf industry that we need to from the younger ones just to introduce them to the game. You know, it's basic instruction, but it gives them a chance to see what golf is all about. Um, so, you know, tapping into those organizations is a way to, to get it started. Um, and, you know, there, there are some kids that, you know, play in the PGA Junior Leagues and some of the other tournament organizations that are still part of these um, particular groups that we do. But I think that's a, that's a way to start. And also, you know, you're you know going in with the, the local, wherever you are, local, city, parks and rec. You know, get in touch with them, uh, get a, get some group sessions. You know, set up within those parameters of the city and get the kids signed up, and you know, get them introduced to the game. I think this is a, a pretty cool way to do it, and um, you know, so far it's it, it's working pretty well. So I don't know how many kids will will retain out of that, 
but um, I think these three particular pieces that we've used um, have, have really, really done a, a pretty good uh, crunch to get that started. Yeah, and I think a great point, and I think that that is a, an interesting approach because, you know, typically, you know, when when we talk about golf now, you know, we, we and you sort of touched on this, a lot of the, the PGA Junior Leagues and, and so forth and a lot of other junior programs out there, which are great, um, but they tend to attract people who are already interested in golf in some fashion or have been introduced in some fashion, whether, again, be through family or just have had a, a vested interest. So, you know, getting involved in some of the organizations that you've mentioned uh, is, is, I think, a great idea because they're typically not, um, and, and we'll touch on that a little bit later, but typically not uh, areas that you would think you might find interest in. Um, you know, they're, they're doing other activities. Golf is not typically uh, or traditionally has not been part of that. Uh, Tim, what about yourself? I mean, you, you kind of have things a little bit different perspective perhaps um, you know, you, you deal with more of the, the mental side of the game, uh, the emotional side, if you will, with a lot of the students. And I know you have a lot of younger students, too, that you work with um, from various different levels, from tours, right, uh, and collegiate as well. Uh, but what are some of the things that you found effective to reach out into some of the areas that typically maybe we wouldn't uh, utilize? And have you been able to, you know, have you had some success doing that? And What's sort of been your approach to getting this sort of next younger generation uh, interested in the game? Yeah, it's it's a it's a wonderful question, guys. And what I think is that what we have to figure out ways to do is creatively make the game more fun. Maybe not the game more fun, but more skills and more contests and just things to really keep the kids engaged. Um, we kind of are dealing with the um, the implications or the aftermath of a, of a generation that's coming up with a lot of devices and the electronic devices um, and even within what I do as a mind coach, um, there is a desire for more stimulation inside the mind and inside the brain maybe than arguably we've ever had and um, that's a challenge for us as golfers because golf tends to be a very uh, cerebral sport. It's a much slower pace sport and a lot different than maybe what most of them are attracted to. So, so, and yet within that, it seems to me that the idea of contests is always uh, fun and very appealing to even younger golfers. So, um, what I tend to do when I work with younger players and even uh, five, six-year-olds is that somehow we have to find ways to make it fun, and I believe to have small types of contests. And that keeps them a little better engaged. It's a bigger issue when we talk about how do we get more of them into the game. I guess, truthfully, I don't have a good answer for that, but it seems to me that if we can find ways of getting out there and then when we do get them in, to be able to uh, to just you know, make it more fun for them to do, to engage them, so that uh, uh, we run into that fine line as instructors. How much do we teach mechanics? How much do we just let them hit the ball? Mm-hmm. You know, all of it's age-dependent, whatever. But I, I don't think – I guess I have to go on record as saying I don't think that the industry is in the amount of trouble – that we're making it out to be. I think golf will be mm-hmm. fine. I think it's always going mm-hmm. to attract those who 
have a real passion for the game. And uh, uh, the best thing we can do is make it fun, make it available, and see what happens. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think there's there's always you know going to be new people. I mean, we see this uh, in in particularly in the the women's market. We're seeing a lot of young. Uh, girls getting into I, I know you know I've had the the pleasure as I've mentioned a number of times on the show to interview many of the winners from the Symmetra Tour and these young girls are coming in in their late teens early 20s um, and they've been introduced to golf at a much earlier age but they have specific interests they're you know they've uh, again been sort of fostered in that development early development uh, as as I had with you know a parent or a guardian of some sort has introduced them to the game but there's a lot out there that don't. And so, Pete, this brings me to the next question. Is, uh, but I, I agree with you, Tim. I mean, I certainly don't want to you know, insinuate that the, the industry is in trouble, but I, I think that we have to be mindful that there is a lot of changes happening uh, with people's time and, and other uh, commitments that golf, for a lot of people, is not in the forefront. And uh, we're certainly not going to attract everybody. I get that. But I think there are ways, and we're going to talk about a few of them here, tonight that maybe we could be doing some things in addition to what we're already doing that could open up into a larger market. So Pete, I want to talk to you about this one here. And this kind of goes to what I was just talking about with, uh, you know, sort of our our upbringing, if you will. Um, And and I'm wondering if there needs to be more of a grassroots effort, if you will. And what I mean by that is for to encourage parents to take a more active role in getting the family involved. Uh, As an example, you know, as I said, my father was very passionate about golf, so it was an easy, you know, switch for me. He just took me out to the range, and we started, uh, you know, doing things. And, and over time, I, I just the, the bug had bit me, and, and that's all it took. But a lot of these younger parents, as I mentioned in the opening, um, that maybe were never exposed to golf, really don't have the same inkling. So, is there something that we can do again, as professionals or as an industry? to get more families involved and make it more of a family thing as opposed to an individual. Yeah, that's a that's another great avenue. You know, when we were younger, I think the dynamics even of, of how everybody just works for a living was different. Um, today you've got, you know, both parents working, working a lot. Um, you know, there's not as much time anymore. So it's it's a different dynamic that we're dealing with. But I think from a from an outset you know, you can look at different, you know, clubs or you know, municipal places to create, you know, uh, a family day. So one of the days of the week is where, you know, it's a, it, encouraging to get the families out there to play, to play together, um, you know, maybe set up the course a little bit differently, as, as Tim was talking about, to have some different contests and, and different things to make it a little bit more fun, a little bit more enjoyable for, for all of them. But I think um, – you know, it's it's really a tough one. I mean, um, I, I think it's a you can you can also piggyback off of you know like what we're doing um, here with working with these different school districts. I know for for a fact that with one of the groups I'm working with, the, the they brought the kids out to learn, and now I've got the parents taking lessons. So, you know, you can actually work in reverse too. That you can you can present it that way. You've got the kids going now. Let's get mom and dad, and let's get the whole family mm-hmm. out. So. You can either take it in both directions, um, but yeah, I, I think it's something that needs to be done. Um, you know, I don't particularly know, you know, how to get it totally done, but I think if you can have some courses to set up, you know, some more family times. You know, it, you know, in my day, I think it was, you know, the juniors, juniors playing the golf course were, 
you know, you get one day and, you know, if you're not playing with your parents, that's it. You know, there was sort of, you know, not, not so much of a negative, but it was tougher to play a lot. Um, but I think, you know, today, uh, I think to encourage that, I, I think, you know, these municipalities and, the, you know, the, all these different, uh, you know, options of, of cities and, and things and, and classes that you can put together, you can work it out between golf courses and, you know, parks and rec and things like that to develop some things that, you know, we can really move to, to make it more family friendly. It doesn't have to be every day, but, you know, it would be nice if it was, but you can specifically earmark a, an afternoon, an evening, a day that uh, you're encouraging families to come out, you know, maybe involve some, some you know, a, a dinner or a barbecue with it, you know, just to have some different things that can, that can encourage them to come out and play. Yeah, I think that's, a, a, again, a, a great idea. And, and, Tim, I'm going to ask you a little bit of a, a different question here. Uh, you know, we mentioned a, a few moments ago about a lot of different junior golf programs, uh, which typically tend to be a little bit more competitive. Um, and, again, for, for those that are maybe newer to the game that really don't have that same burning desire, uh, it's not really maybe something – uh, that they're going to gravitate to because it's, again, in, I mean, we know this to be factual, that it's very highly competitive. We know because there are parents out there that are spending literally tens of thousands of dollars putting their kids through uh, a variety of different high-level golf schools because they want to you yeah, know, get scholarships. Sure, right. Sure. And, but so, so I'm wondering about something along the lines, uh, and there's two schools of thought here. Uh, one is about the school systems in general. Should golf be more incorporated into the mainstream system uh, like so many other sports have been? Um, and, and when it comes to – so there's two parts to this question. You know, do we need to be more creative and find ways of um, you know, getting into the, the mainstream school systems more as opposed to just high school and collegiate level – um, and getting into a younger, again, more of a grassroots movement. And I think one of the ways of doing that, too, to, and again, to make it sort of competitive and fun, is to, to have something similar, and we, I'm using the hockey analogy here, but we had something called a house league. And, you know, usually house leagues were, were designed for, you know, the kids that weren't maybe as good at hockey at that particular time and, and uh, maybe were never going to make it to the NHL, but it still gave them an, an avenue to get in there and play a little bit of competitive. So maybe, you know, maybe sort of like a, a, a similar house league junior program would be one. Um, but the other thing, too, is I think that um, – I'm going to save this part for, for a little bit after. So let's let's tackle that there. Let's talk about the school systems, and then let's talk about maybe offering a different platform in addition to what's already out there. I'm not trying to take away anything, but something a little bit more, again, grassroots uh, in the junior program system – for sort of the everyday golfer that maybe doesn't really want to play super competitive golf, but just wants to have some competition or some, you know, fun along the way. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I think that, I, I, I think that is the approach that it needs to go. And, um, you know, it's funny, you guys were, sounds like you were exposed to the sport by your, your, your fathers and whatever. Um, when I grew up, I, I didn't have that kind of exposure, but I remember that that in um, in uh, high school they they took us to the driving range as part of a gym class, and um, um, that uh, uh, we went to the driving range, and of course they had the clubs there and the balls there, and and that's when I just fell in love with the sport. I think I want to say the first time I hit a ball was just I could not get enough of it. 
And it would seem to me that that would be a great approach. Um, I do think that it's challenging these days, though, on a lot of levels. Uh, when I was in school, we just took a van over to the to the driving range. That was part of gym class. And when you look at the logistics of that, that's increasingly challenging. But yes, I do think that that it is something that um, uh, the I think the earlier we can get to the kids. Uh, the more interest we might uh, we might generate. Now, I'm going to go a little different approach, though, and, and I think mm-hmm. it would be nice if we could find ways of taking a program into the schools so that we could set mm-hmm. up nets or we could set up whatever and bring it there. I also think, I'm a firm believer, I, I see how the kids react. Uh, now, it's challenging to do. It's expensive to do. The kids love video. They love watching themselves. They love seeing their swings. They, they, I'm not sure everybody can afford TrackMan, but nonetheless, it's kind of a cool tool. I think somehow we have to figure, rather than curse the technology, we have to find a way to embrace the technology. And, and I would be the first one to suggest let's find ways to take it to the schools rather than to get the schools to come to the to the driving ranges and the courses. And so if we, if we really want to, uh, it's almost like we've got to do it on their turf rather than bringing them to ours. Yeah, and, and that's definitely, you know, a lot of those things are, are happening now where we're seeing, and again, we're going to touch on that here momentarily, but um, no, I agree. I, I think you have, you know, you have to sort of put all, all oars in the water. You can't just sort of have one or, or two different things. There have to be a variety of different options available. Um, the other thing I was going to add to sort of this last question, and, and Pete, I'm going to come back to you with this, and, and Tim, you're certainly welcome to uh, to jump in as well. But, you know, what I would like to see, and I've talked about this before, but I've sort of rethought the process. You know, I've said, you know, maybe more like a, uh, executive style course, but I think we can take it a, a little bit further. You know, one of the problems with with incorporating it, and you guys both sort of touched on this in in the school system, is taking these kids then to a, a local golf course, even a muni, uh, and out there. I mean, it's very difficult. You've got you know maybe uh, 30, 40, you know, or even 60 kids potentially, depending on if you've got a couple of classes going. Uh, and that can be very destructive, uh, disruptive to a golf course. You know, they don't have the room on the range, you know, in addition to members and stuff. I think what I would like to see, Pete, is maybe the instead of developing uh, just solely more golf courses, what about golf centers where it's more of a, a practice facility, So you know, which takes up a lot less land. Um, you know, obviously it's going to be a few acres, but have almost like a, a, a glorified range where you could – use that as a way of teaching, particularly the short game. And you don't even have to have maybe three holes, three actual holes, uh, but, you know, in addition, but maybe you would have a, a sort of glorified range or a golf center where there'd be various different stations that you could bring these kids to and introduce them to the game, putting stations, you know, chipping, pitching station, that sort of thing. What about something like that? Because that would be much more inexpensive to put together um, than, you know, just building more golf courses and takes up a lot less room. That's a great idea. You know, I, as, as you guys are talking and doing this, I mean, my, my mind is, is running around here. I mean, there, there's enough dollars in the game of golf with the large club companies, all the technology, um, all the simulators, mm-hmm. 
for someone to be able to put something together that could be either mobile to take to schools or it could be just like you're talking about. Maybe instead of building a facility that is an actual range outside, how about we build a center that has, you know, 20 sims in it and they can Mm -hmm. be introduced and play the game that way. That way weather is never an issue. Um, You can bring kids to that. You've got a better atmosphere. You've got a smaller place. There has to be a way to get this technology that's out there and and these companies that are making all these products to get together and say, hey, you know, if we're really going to get these people into the game, why don't we make something that we can is affordable? I mean, it, it even goes back to introducing kids to the game, the price of equipment. Somebody's got to come out with something that can that can put together a program or a product that would do just exactly what you're talking about. You know, take a smaller area of acreage. You know, how about we start it off with you know, here's a practice center we're going to build, and, you know, the longest shot you're going to hit is 100 yards. Let's, let's teach them how to score. We've got a new practice right. scoring center, you know, instead of, instead of you know, having to you know, worry about hitting balls 300 yards. How about we teach them how to score first, you know, so you have a mm-hmm. small scoring center that you use. I mean, because I know in our area there are very few places that you can actually really legitimately practice the short game. And I know there's some country clubs and private clubs that have that. But from a public standpoint, there aren't that many around there. So the challenge is, and, you know, I guess to me, I would challenge those that are out there with, uh, you know, in the industry. Let's come up with something. You know, I'd love to have a portable simulator. I'd drive up to school, you pop it open, you got three bays, and say, come on, kids, let's go. You know, it'd be mm-hmm. something like that that would be really cool to do. So the technology is there, and now let's make it mobile. How can we do this? So... You know, I don't have the I don't have the wherewithal or the, or the financial parts to do it. I have the, the you know, the, the ideas behind it, but I, I think it's high time we, we get something like this roll up. Well, exactly right. And, and, you know, Tim, you know, just to add on to that a little bit more, you know, what, what Pete's talking about, you know, we've got companies like Callaway, Titleist, uh, you know, TaylorMade, all of these different corporations who traditionally have, you know, made millions of dollars um, I look at, you know, areas in, in other sports like basketball, you know, Nike did a lot. Nike went out and actually invested out in the communities because they wanted to attract more NBA, you know, potential future NBA players. And they went out into, this, into the, into that and doing that golf has really not done that. You know, there's been some programs that have been started, but a very gra- you know, and I, I know I'm using that word a lot tonight, grassroots, and I'm not saying that they're bad. But it's been a very small scale, and I, I really think that if we want to really grow this game um, as much as we talk about it, I think some of the people that have raked in a lot of money over the years need to put some, some of it back in, and not just into the country club and building more resorts and this, that, and the other thing. Um, you know, Maybe we need to do something like that. What do you think, Tim? Well, I think you're absolutely correct, and to me, if they're smart – um, and, and, and thinking in a leading edge way, they'd better do that because otherwise, yeah, we're, we're running into a situation where, um, where, uh, you know, 20, 10, 20, 30, however many years from now, it, it is going to dwindle, um, from a, uh, from a lack of potential interest. Um, you know, it's interesting when, when we work with juniors too, and speaking of club companies and whatever, it's, it's always interesting to me. Um, when young kids come to, uh, say, hit balls or whatever, and the equipment at the courses themselves or the driving range or whatever 
and I and I get it that you you can't always have the the latest and greatest equipment, but basically it's not the razzle dazzle stuff or the stuff that really even works that well. And mm-hmm. basically, we're just throwing some some cut down, hand me down, uh, nasty stuff at them in a way that I, I do think that there is a huge huge market and it would be great to have these facilities where yeah we get bays and 100 yard shot would be the max and and again um as we all know as coaches who have been around this game for a long time it's a lot of players that can hit the ball long ways but there's fewer players that have exceptional short games and and kind of along that line to me the thrill of the game is still getting the ball into the hole and it doesn't matter whether it's a five-foot putt, a 50-foot putt, you're chipping it in, you're pitching it in. And if we can make that enough fun, we've got them, you know, we've got them where we want them. Yeah, but the big drive is always great to see, and, and I'm not disagreeing with that. But it still is when you think about it. It is the ability. It's what excites people. And we even know this from a mind game standpoint. What excites people the most is getting the ball into the hole. And so mm-hmm. keeping that in mind, how can, how can we make that happen? You know, and exactly right. Well, a great, uh, great point, Tim. Uh, you know, there's a lot of advancements, too, in artificial turf. Um, you know, I can think of as an example when I went to high school uh, for the time, uh, you know, my high school was a little bit more forward than uh, thinking some of the, the others in the area. And I remember when they built their gymnasium, they did it so that they could section off into, I think it was three or four sections, so you could have multiple different things going on. And what was really unique about it is they had specialized flooring put in. They were panels that actually could be, very easily be removed. So if they had you know, a basketball game, they put in certain panels, and it, was, it had a, like a, almost like a rubber feel to it. Um, and then they had other flooring, and, that, and it, was, you know, it just took a matter of minutes uh, to be able to make those changes. So, I mean, you know, they could do that with a section of a gymnasium and put in artificial turf, which would have, uh, you know, putting holes and, and that sort of thing in it. So it's very easy to adapt. Uh, again, it's just a matter of getting, uh, you know, folks in the industry to get a little bit more involved uh, in bringing into these systems. Um, Pete, I'm going to come back to you now on this question here. Um, and I know we've touched a little bit about, you know, some of the professionals, but, um and I know we we need to get companies, uh, as I mentioned, a few of them that need to be more involved. And I know they do a lot of great things now, but I think there's a lot more that they could do. Um, but what role should the USGA, PGA of America, and even LPGA play? I know they have a lot of different programs out there to develop golf and, 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 and golfers and that, but they need to play a role as well. Are there some things that you can think of that these organizations could do more in, in reaching out into communities? Uh, you know, maybe getting out there, having discussions uh, with school boards, having discussions with, um, you know, parks and rec, that sort of thing, getting out there into the community with the local governments and saying, look, you know, we want to be more integrated, more involved in, in our communities here, other than just at the golf course. And here are some suggestions that we've got. How can we work together? What, what are your thoughts there? Well, you know, it's an excellent question. And to me, shouldn't they be the ones that started it? I mean, they yeah. should be thinking this way from the beginning. I mean, and let's be realistic for just a second. I mean, the PGA of America, I mean, come on. They should be the mm-hmm. leaders in getting all of this out into every community that they're at. They should be going to their PGA professionals, 
you know, training them, helping them, assisting them how to go talk to the local, you know, chamber of commerce, how to talk to the local mm-hmm. school districts. You know, they should be the leaders in this, but they're simply not. I mean, and that, that to me is just mind-boggling, the USGA especially. I mean, yeah, you run great mm-hmm. championships, but what are you doing for the, to, to build the game? I mean, I mean this is really yeah. what we're what we're after. I mean, I'm not trying to sound like a, like a, you know, a negative Nelly here, but I mean, come on. I mean, these are the top people in the game of golf mm-hmm. and they're not doing any of this. It, to me, you right. know, it's almost like, you know, okay, you want to be a PGA member. Great. Now, okay. You got your membership. Thanks for your dues. And now you're on your own. You know, I mean, yeah. come on. I mean, there should be way more programs that are available um, for these guys to be able to, to, to be assisted. And, and I would think again, I mean, to me, it should be from the top down. I mean, they're building this giant facility in Frisco, Texas, and are, are they going to involve all the communities around and, and really beef up the game, or is it going to be so that they can move to Byron Nelson over there? I mean, which way are we actually going to really go? You know, so yeah, and it's a it's a real cool question, but I mean, you know, I, again, I mean, I, the organizations are phenomenal, but you know, they need to step up now and really, really take the bull by the horns and be the leaders in, in what we're trying to do here. Yeah, and, and, and Tim, I, I agree a lot with what Pete is, is just saying. And, and don't get me wrong, we're not trying to suggest that there's, you know, the organizations are bad, and I'm certainly not trying to uh, shed a negative light on any of them. But I think, much like I've said in the past about the Golf Channel, uh, you know, we all loved watching the Golf Channel when it first came on, but as it morphed in, into later times, it became more about the professional tours and, and the high level, the top 1% of, of players, and really kind of got away from the average golfer, in my opinion. A lot of it, very little instruction anymore. Um, you know, we've seen that even with a lot of the mainstream magazines as well. I mean, obviously, you know, I've recently taken over uh, in the last year Golf Tips magazine, and I'm trying to, you know, uh, move that in, in a direction where we're going to help more of the everyday golfers. Um, but, you know, some of the others out there have done different things, and, and uh, certainly I'm not trying to knock them, but I, I think that the industry could do more. And, and Tim, you know, just to go back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago about, you know, creating an environment that would be easily accessible, I can think of, and I don't know if you've been down here lately or, or before, but to the PJ show in, in Orlando, I mean, every year they have probably a half a dozen or more hitting bays that they set up very, very quickly. They're able to do it at a PGA merchandising show. Why can't they do something like that in a school system? It's indoor. They could use a gymnasium, as we've talked about. What are your thoughts with some of these organizations? How can we, you know, maybe can they better utilize some of their resources to communicate with their local communities and 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 get the ball rolling? What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, yeah, I, again, I, it's my it's my firm belief that if we're going to grow it, we have to find a new way to do it. We can't can't you know it's, it's the the classic definition of insanity where we keep doing the same thing the same <laughs> way, hoping for different results. Um, not going to work that way. I think that we have to take the game uh, out and we have to take it to the schools and we have to take it to the kids and we have to we have to figure out a way. To me. Um, they're, they're, you know, yes, and, and, and do organizations like the PGA, the USGA, the LPGA, do they need to step it up and probably put more resources into developing it? I think absolutely they do. 
But again, you can throw all the money you want into it, and you can have all these beautiful facilities, but I still maintain that we have to figure out ways to go to the potential golfer. We're, we're really dealing, I guess I get back to, again, um, with so much of what I do with the mind game and even, even mm-hmm. dealing with parents. I deal with a lot of parents. And, yep. and the big frustration of the parents are the video games, the time spent online, um, that sort of thing. Um, I don't have an easy answer around that, but what I'm saying is that, that we're dealing with a different mindset than we've ever dealt with before. And we right. have to figure out a way, I guess, to work around that. But I still think that, that yeah, we, we, take, we take modules to school, we take nets to school, but we also figure out ways to make it affordable, but I just still think that, you know, like it or not, video is the way that it's going. Um, Mm -hmm. Numbers, research, data, they love, the kids love that stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. You can tell how far you hit a ball, right, just by looking at the Mm -hmm. numbers that we have, so, so much stuff like that now. Well, we do that kind of stuff, and and I think that we can do that to pique the interest, and then the kids who are genuine, mm-hmm. genuinely interested will find their way to the golf courses and to, you know, continue, continue the sport. But uh, start them early. I mean, absolutely. Keep it fun. Start them early and get to them. Yeah, and and that, Pete, brings me to, to sort of this next area, and we, we've touched on this obviously a little bit here, but um, you know, organizations like Top Golf and uh, other you know simulator companies and things like that. Um, you know, they're already. I, you know, I talked to as I, as I mentioned to you both off air. Um, you know, I had the pleasure of speaking with Ben Sharp from Top Tracer, and we talked about Top Golf, Top Tracer, and that. And and really, what they're doing is they're bringing that technology. And for those of you not familiar with Top Tracer, it's it's basically um, uh, very high tech programming that allows. You know, you see this all the time in the PJ events where, uh, you know, a player uh, tees off or hits a golf shot, and you'll see, uh, you know, either a blue or a red, depending on, on what color they're using at the time. Uh, you'll see the ball flight. It'll actually trace out the ball flight. And a lot of people really enjoy that. And, of course, you get the stats and that at the time. Uh, well, what Top Tracer is doing now is they're actually going to be incorporating that in many more of the simulators, but also I believe they said something like 4,500 uh, ranges uh, across the United States. So they're bringing that technology into the forefront um, to do just exactly what you're talking about, Tim. So, you know, so Pete, this is, this is something I think that, you know, to, to Tim's point is, is really vital because, again, the generations coming up now look at things differently than we do, and that, that technology piques their interest. And maybe that's the way that we need to sort of light that spark what do you think oh i totally agree i mean i i said from the beginning when you know people talk about technology i said every kid has a phone in their pocket and so we need to we need to take advantage of that and and utilize that technology i mean they all have them so i mean no i agree i'm laughing because i agree yeah absolutely yeah so so we need to make sure that that definitely is is something that we we tackle i mean you know, you you got to give credit to Top Golf for places like Top Tracer. I mean, they're starting to figure out how to make the game, you know, uh, a little bit different when they go to to a range of practice. I mean, 
you know, those types of facilities are going to be great to have. You know, I'd, I'd love to see, you know, even more of that. I'd love to see something that's, you know, like I said, even more portable. But, you know, even to the extent of where, you know, how fun would it to be to be, you know, at one of these facilities, you've got some kids hitting balls, and all of a sudden on the screen pops Phil Mickelson, and, and you get to talk with Phil and hit some balls, and he can see what you're doing. You can see what he's doing. I mean, how much fun would that be on an interactive scale? Um, you know, those are the types of things that I think we have to start doing. I mean, I can do some of that on a on a little bit of a scale, but, I mean, the technology is there to do this, and I think that would be something that would be really, really cool to do. Um, but, you know, I, you know, you guys are on the right track. I mean, and, Tim, I, I agree with you. I think we got to figure out how to bring it to them and so then they can come to those facilities. Um, but there's definitely a way to get it done, and, and you know, we have to – we have to capture that technology because, you know, as I said, they've all got the phones, but every single solitary one of them has it. So, you know, <laughs> you may as well try to try to take as much advantage of that technology to get into their ears as we can. And, and you know, there's even some great platforms that I use uh, for communication, which is great. I mean, I can text these players all the time. We can interact. Mm-hmm. And so it's definitely a huge advantage for us to be able to tack into you know, what these kids are interested in. And, 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 Tim, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, they love the data. I mean, it's great stuff. These, these kids, you know, they want to see it. They want to see the tracer. Hey, where'd my ball go? And, you know, and, and it's great to see that. So we've got to continue to tap into what uh, what they're interested in. Well, the nice thing yeah, and, and is we don't, we don't, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Tim, please go ahead. Oh, I was going to say the nice thing is we don't need we don't need these mega facilities. We don't need 300-yard driving ranges. We need we need right. hitting bays, and yep. at least to get them introduced. And again, I'm not. I, I love the driving range, and I wouldn't want to stand. I personally wouldn't want to stand a monitor for very long. But but to introduce them to the sport to me. You know, it, it just it just shouldn't be that difficult. We we take it to them. We set up bays. We let them hit. We show them data. We show them we show them picture of this is what the club face is doing, and then we help them to understand this is what we want it to do. And kids learn so quickly. Um, that's the beautiful part of it. So I think the technology is there. We just have to figure out more creative ways of bringing it to them. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and Tim, I'm going to come back to you on on this one here. You kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier on in the program, um, but this sort of all again plays into what we're talking about now. And and you know, some say that the rules of golf maybe need to be more relaxed for recreational golfers to make it more fun. Um, you know, I think it, it's one thing for you know uh, tournament play or. Uh, you know, at, at a higher level or a more advanced play, certainly, you, you know, you've got to have uh, the rules that we've had, uh, you know, sort of set in stone for, for a long time. And obviously there's been some tweaks and adjustments along the way. But, um, but you know, for the recreational golfer that maybe is never going to get to that level, uh, and they can certainly, if they do, then they can incorporate those rules, you know, as they become more competitive. But I think generally, you know, do we need to maybe have two sets of rules? One for more, uh, you know, again, along the lines of tournament play, but for recreational golfers, do we maybe need to get rid of some of these rules that are a little bit archaic and kind of make it not so fun for, for the everyday person that just wants to go out and, and slap the ball around a little bit? What do you think? Well, I think, I think it's a great idea. Uh, just on the surface, I think it's a great idea. And yet, to me, um, 
to still learn a set of rules uh, would be important at some level. I mean, if you, if you want to have a more sure. casual set of rules, that's okay. Um, certainly dropping and penalties. Uh, you know, my, uh, there's a, there's a senior tour in Florida. My good, my good friend, uh, Jerry Tucker runs and, and they modified a rule to where um, all penalty shots uh, and out of bounds is played as a, it's played as a lateral hazard. So, so it's a one shot penalty. So there's no mm-hmm. going to keep pace of play and whatever. And the guys, and there's a lot of really talented players on this tour, guys who have played on the tour, but they love the rule. They're not having to go back to the tee. It saves them time, still a penalty shot, whatever. So they've modified the rules for that tour. I do think that we could do things like that, and yet there's still, right. this golf is still complicated enough that there still needs to be a set of rules that people can adhere to because, again, you know, there's generally some betting that goes on, whatever. So mm-hmm. there's still uh, still a set of rules that needs to be adhered to. But could they be a little more lax? Probably they could. Um, yeah. But, you know, what we would make them, I guess, haven't really given a lot of thought to. Um, yeah, and, and I agree with that. You know, you, you have to have – you know, obviously the rules of golf have to be in play, uh, Pete, but I think that we, we can, um, you know, relax some of them a little bit. Um, and I think as long as it's established up front before a round or before you, you know, engage in, in, in some sort of an event that it's clearly established, you know, are we playing the, the, you know, traditional rules of golf or are we playing the relaxed rules you know i think you know and that goes to what tim was talking about betting and things like that i think if you have um you know i think if you establish up front what the rules are going to be and what direction you're going to go in uh then i think that that doesn't become an issue but uh you know if obviously you know you get midstream and somebody decides to say well no i'm actually playing this rule over here uh, you know, that's not going to fly. So I, I understand from Tim's argument. But what do you think about that, relaxing the rules a little bit uh, for, for recreational golfers? I'm, talking, I'm not talking about professional or for, uh, you know, even collegiate and things like that. But I'm talking about just for recreational golfers, for people just wanting to get in there. What are some things maybe we could do in relaxing them a little bit that, that's going to make it more enjoyable, more fun, and, and uh, you know, not feeling like, you, you know, you've got to be the best player out there, um, you know, they just want to have fun. What do you think? Well, I think it's a great idea. I mean, you can always have your basic etiquette, which I think is going to make it, you know, sure. you know, basic common sense courtesy for everybody to be out there. But, you know, uh, if, if it goes in the bunker and you're not good at it, take it out. If if you need to tee every ball up, all my new players, you tee every ball up. Well, my husband's not going to like that. So you let me deal with your husband. You tee every ball up. <laughs> you know, I want you to have some fun out there. I'll deal with your husband, you know. So you're right. actually playing better than he is right now anyway, so don't worry about it. But, you know, there, there are definite things that you can do. And I like the idea of always moving forward, never go backwards. Mm-hmm. So if you hit it in something, drop it and, hit, and play on. It's a penalty. As long as everybody's playing by the same set of rules, you know, what difference does it make? That's really what it's all about. So I'm all for, for doing things that, you know, um, make the game move forward. You know, uh, automatic two putts. You know, try it a couple of times. If you don't make it, go. Move on. You know, you don't have to keep putting mm-hmm. to get in the hole. Just try it twice and go. Um, you know, yeah. I've always said, too, I, I tell them, I said, you know, when you get out there, you, you get one pitch, one chip, and two putts, and that's it. 
you know, and if, and if those haven't come in succession, so you get one pitch, one chip, two putt. There's four. So if you hit four pitches, pick it up. Okay, so that's enough. Go to the next hole. You get four tries from there. That's all we want to do. And that just keeps you moving, keeps you out there, and then begins to show them, hey, that pitch shot's pretty important because, you know, I hit four of them. I didn't even get on the green. So then it gets, it gets yeah. the idea rolling that I should probably get a little bit better at these, you know, and maybe practice a little bit. But I think anything that relaxes it and lets it move forward and lets it roll forward and, and you know, takes the time frame down of how long it takes to play, I think is a huge bonus overall. Well, and you, and you, yeah, exactly. And you, and you hit it right on the head there just with what you said a moment ago. And, and that is timing. Um, you know, this is one of the big criticisms that a lot of, uh, younger generation have is they don't want to go out and spend four to six hours on a golf course. That's a big part of their day. They got other things to do and, you know, they don't mind going out for a couple of hours, you know, um, but, you know, four to six hours, which in you know, some cases can be a typical round, uh, depending on where you're playing and how busy it is, and especially nowadays with the courses being, you know, a little bit extra busy, but um, because of the pandemic, uh, you know, that's just timing is of an issue. And, you know, so this is why they're looking to other avenues. It's not that they're maybe not necessarily interested in golf, but they're looking at for other opportunities to, to be able to play and and be involved in it. And this is why, you know, centers like Top Golf and some of these others that are out there that, you know, run a similar type pattern uh, became very uh, successful to that younger generation is because, and this goes to a key thing, you know, even though we, we talk about it as, um, you know, in our age group, if you will, you know, golf is a certain element of social, they've taken it to a whole different level. Everything they do is about social. You know, they want to get together with friends. They want to get, you know, we might go out with a force and we're playing and, and you know, they're friends and we're having a good time, but it, it, it becomes very competitive. They're not as concerned about the competitive side of things. They're more concerned about having a good time, having fun with their friends. So if it becomes too regimented, I think, and this goes back to the rules, then it becomes not so much fun for them and it's not a, a great social environment. So they're going to go do something where they can have more uh, you know, more social interaction may have fun. So again, maybe, you know, golf could take on, and, and I know there are some out there, um, more of a game atmosphere where there's games within the game. So, you know, you could maybe create, uh, and again, I don't have all the answers either, but, you know, games within the game that they can do to make it more interesting and fun. Um, I'm going to give each of you a chance to respond to that in, in your thoughts. Uh, Tim, I'll go with you and then Pete. What do you think about that? Maybe games within the game. Well, I think I think that's a great idea. And again, you know, as a mind game coach, I know anything that we can do to keep the mind occupied in a fun way is is just going to keep us a whole lot more interested than when we get bored. Um, and I, I I genuinely believe that games. I I know that people love to play games, and so uh, yeah, I'm I'm all for that. And but. The one thing that I would say is that, um, and, and I love what Pete had to say, it really, or, or, or you, Ted, is that they really do want to have fun. It is very different for mm-hmm. most players than it used to be in that they're really after the social aspect. And and, right. and to, to me, um, again, which which kind of in a way, too, um, would indicate that yes, a different set of rules would certainly help. Because, well, 
as golf professionals, we all know that most amateurs don't intricately know the rules of the game anyway. I mean, not at least the tournament rules and, and uh, right. not having competed in a number of years myself, I'm not sure that I would have to have a refresher, but, um, but uh, yeah, I think that anything we can do to keep it fun is the key. And, and so uh, we're always, we're not, we're not ever going to lose the group of golfers who loves to compete, loves to be in tournaments, um, that will be an element to me that will keep that part of the sport continuing mm-hmm. indefinitely. But the question becomes, what do we do with the rest of them? And that's the area that right. I think that if we're going to grow the sport, we need to really look at that part of the game, uh, that element of the, the population uh, to come up with a different, a new and different and exciting fun approach. Right, and get, it's almost like creating Pete uh, a, a, another option, if you will. You know, for those that you know maybe enjoy a more traditional game, um, you know, that's where they're going to. I mean, I, and I know this might seem like a silly analogy, but you know, you think about poker. You know, think about how many different variations of poker there are. Um, you know, and there's a reason for that because, you know, not everybody wants to play, the, you know, the standard, uh, you know, game of poker. They want to have different uh, variations of it because uh, they enjoy it. There's different games that have been created over the years. And I think golf needs to start sort of stepping in that venue as well because I think, it, again, as, as we've all talked about here tonight, we're certainly not, you know, trying to do away with traditional golf, and we're certainly not trying to say that we have to change the entire industry to do something different. But I think if we really want to grow the game and attract a newer audience and a younger audience and get them engaged, there's certainly going to be a good percentage of them that are going to, um, and I hate to use the term, convert into a, a traditional type of play at some point as well. But I think just getting them interested in the game, and at least uh, maybe a better word is not interested in the game, but curious about the game. Your your final thoughts, Pete? Oh, no question. Um, I think giving them an alternative way to, to be on the golf course to play is, is a great thing to do. A good friend of mine that I, I grew up with that runs a golf course, you know, you have your tournaments and you have your games. He has games every day. He's gone into town and found a whole bunch of sponsors from local businesses, and he's got all kinds of products and all kinds of things he does, and on a daily basis, there's all kinds of things going on at the golf course. And all the players, even the ones that are, you know, the good players, they're all looking forward to, you know, what crazy contest did he come up with today that we can participate in? You know, and all, all the donations that he gets from the, the, you know, which becomes free advertising for those local businesses, you know, it's a, just a new way to get people out there. You know, it's, it's something different. He even has one day where you have two different green fees. You can play traditional golf or you can play, you know, this game that we're doing today. So you're, you're going two different directions. So you want to play in this? Here's your fee. You want to play in this? There's your fee. And so it's just different, and I think it's a great way to do it. Um, you know, a guy that's built up a golf course that was failing that has built it into a just a, a fine running machine now. But, you, you know, you have to think outside the box more today. You know, the traditional way, and I think, you know, mentioned it just a little bit earlier the traditional way of doing things is is you know insanity it's not working anymore you got to think outside the box and you really have to come up with a new way to to not only just from the rounds of golf but how to run the golf i mean it's it's all different now so technology is a huge piece of it you need to embrace it you need to bring it into the fold and how we're going to make it work and you know really just um 
Yeah, I think it's great. I, I think we need to have just a whole different thought process and a whole different venue of, of games and things to play while they're out there. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree. And, you know, just a, a final thing, just going back to something we were talking about earlier about, you know, getting the family involved. And I, I wish I could remember who said this, but somebody came on the show uh, a few years back and talked about something that their course that they were working at um, did something very interesting. And, and during the fall season, they um, created an event at their course for families. Um, and they actually put up some um, scarecrows, if you will, out in the uh, driving range. They strategically posted them out there. And, um, you know, if you hit one, you got so many points and things like that. And, you know, they, they kind of created like a little festival around it. So they made a, an event, and obviously they had food and, and things like there as well, but they created an event at their facility to encourage more people to come out. And, and it wasn't just the members because uh, it was semi-private, but they had some of the public as well they invited to come along. And I think that's where we have to be creative is, is making it more of a community, make the golf course almost uh, you know, similar to a community center, if you will, and getting them out there and, and creating things. And again, I understand it's diff- difficult for private clubs and, and even some of the semi-private clubs, but I think, again, maybe these golf centers, maybe what I talked about earlier is, is another avenue that we need to consider and making it more of a community um, uh, center, if you will, that incorporates golf. And you can certainly have other things as well. Uh, but I think that would be a way. And I think there's, you know, with the agencies that are out there, whether it be the PGA of America, the LPGA, um, and even the PGA Tour, I mean, Lord only knows the money that they're raking in, uh, they could certainly give back to communities that have supported them over the years and say, look, we want to do something in these communities across the country to get people interested in the game, and it doesn't have to be at a competitive level. It's just, hey, let's get out and have some fun. Let's show you why we love this game uh, and at least expose you to it. And, you know, where you take it from there is is entirely up to you. But as we've all talked about here, let's make it fun. Let's make it interesting. And, you know, there's a time to be competitive and a time to be serious, if you will, but there's also a time to have have some fun, and I think that's what we need to do if we want to get the younger generation interested is because that's what they're looking for. Is they're looking for something that's a, a social environment that lets them have fun, that doesn't have a lot of rules wrapped up around it in, in a nice little bow, um, and I'm not saying that you can't have any, but I think that's what they're looking for is they're looking for a way, and, and technology is one way to bring them in for sure. Um, Great discussion tonight, guys. Very interesting, and, and I think you guys uh, made some excellent points, as I anticipated you would. And um, I appreciate, as always, the uh, uh, you bringing your best to, to our discussions here on Coach's Corner. Uh, very quickly, uh, both of you, uh, Pete, I'll let you go first, and Tim, uh, if you want to just let the folks know if they want to reach out, and uh, the best way to do that. Well, again, thanks, Ted, for having me on. Tim, it was a pleasure uh, getting to speak with you tonight as well in the discussion. They can reach me at PeteBuchananGolf.com. Very simple. Um, and uh, all my contact info is out there. So if you want to get a hold of me and, and talk about anything, let's start a conversation about golf. And uh, if you got ideas about what we talked about tonight, hey, bring them on. We're, we're all interested in trying to get this thing moving along. So that's how they can find me. Perfect. Um, and Tim? Yeah, and again, Pete enjoyed it. Uh, Ted, is always a pleasure. Easiest way to get a hold of me is uh, at Tim at 
peakperformancemindcoaching.com. And again, all my contact information is there. And uh, um, we do clinics and seminars, things like that. But again, open to any ideas and would love to see uh, fun ways to, to grow, you know, to grow the game, fun new ways to grow the game. Perfect. Well, guys, as always, uh, again, thank you very much for giving of your time. And I will see you next time here on the Coach's Corner panel. Have a great weekend, guys. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Ted. See you, Pete. All right. That was my very special guest tonight on the Coach's Corner panel, uh, Pete Buchanan and Tim Kramer. I hope you enjoyed our discussions uh, earlier. And I'm going to be joined by my very special guest, uh, B.J. Staten. He's going to be joining me here in just a moment. Uh, But first, a quick message from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, and for those of you uh, just tuning in a little bit late, um, if you go to GolfTipsMag.com and uh, subscribe to the print version of the magazine, enter promo code GOLFTIPS21, you'll save over 30% off the regular annual subscription price. So go to GolfTipsMag.com, click on subscribe, click on print subscription, and enter promo uh, promo code GOLFTIPS21. 21 and save over 30% off the regular subscription price. All right, I'm very honored to have my uh, special guest this evening, uh, BJ Staten. He was a PGA and Corn Ferry Tour professional. Uh, currently, he is the assistant golf professional at Red Ledges Golf Club in Heber, Utah. Uh, he was the in 2015 to 2018 part of the TaylorMade staff. Uh, 2005 to current, uh, he is part of the Titleist FootJoy Ball Shoe and Glove staff. Uh, he played for nearly two decades of professional golf, uh, amassing a wealth of experience on both of the tours and other mini tours as well, and uh, made over 100 uh, cuts combined uh, on the PGA and Corn Ferry Tours, had three runner-up finishes on the Corn Ferry Tour and over uh, 20 top 10 finishes. Uh, 2015, the Adams uh, Tour Player of the Year Award, he was a recipient, and in 2014, he won the uh, Utah Open Championship and uh, also uh, 2000 Dogwood Invitational Champion. And uh, he was a three-time first-team all-conference selection at the University of Houston. So please welcome my very special guest, B.J. Staten. B.J., welcome to Golf Tip. How are you doing? Hey, Ted. I'm here. Can you hear me, pal? I can hear you very well. Let me correct that. Welcome to Golf Talk Live. I said golf tips there, and actually I meant to say golf talk live. You know it's been a long evening when you start start – messing your words up i appreciate you coming no on doubt, and, and, um, yeah absolutely thank you for having me pal yeah not a not a problem all right so what i want to do uh, since i know you haven't been on the show with me before is and just for those that maybe aren't aren't familiar with you just to kind of go back a little bit we'll talk about some of your experience on tour of course but before that sure. i always like to get an idea of, of what 
and it kind of rolls into the conversation I just had with the guys earlier is, you know, when I was growing up, my father was the one that introduced me to golf um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, taught me the basics of the game and, you know, and, and sort of progressed from there. Um, but in today's society, that's not always the case. What was it for you? How did you first get introduced to golf? And then how did you sort of progress to uh, get to the, uh, to the PGA Tour? Yeah, again, Seth, thank you so much for having me on. I'm glad to be a part of the show and, and uh, to help you out uh, in any way, shape, or form. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a random story just from the standpoint that my dad was not a huge golfer. Uh, he, he played baseball. He played baseball for Kansas State and was a good relief pitcher. He got drafted by the Dodgers, and I want to say the third round. Uh, his baseball career didn't kind of amount to much. Uh, he tore 15 ligaments in his right knee playing a pickup game of football mm. and his baseball career was over. But, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, you, you, you know, we bring that up on the, on the eve of, or excuse me, not the eve, the, the, the post of, of Phil winning the PGA is that it's kind of the same story of, of Phil and his father of, you know, when I was young, you know, I went out to the golf course with my dad and I'm, I'm right-handed by nature, I guess, uh, for lack of a better mm-hmm. term, I, I eat and ride right-handed. I shoot a, gun right-handed, I play pool right-handed, I play tennis right-handed, I play ping-pong right-handed, but I play golf left, I throw left, I kick left, uh, I shoot a basketball left-handed, and um, along the lines of, of Phil, and again, I'm not comparing myself to Phil in any shape or form <laughs> here, but it was the same kind of idea, Ted, of I wanted my father to see me hit golf balls, and so when he took mm-hmm. me out when I was Oh, shoot, probably six or seven years old, and, and I got my first set of golf clubs, and my dad was right-handed, and I naturally took up left-handed, that I wanted him to watch me. I wanted that mirror image, if you will, right? to where my dad could sit there and watch me make golf swings, that ball that way. And it's almost like, you know, like that, that father-son connection of, oh, you get that, that father appreciation, right? And, you know, sure. I, I know I've heard that story from, from Phil and his father as well, and that's kind of how it evolved. And my dad wasn't a great player, Ted. He was, I think maybe he got down to a, maybe a 10 or a 12 or a 14 handicap, but we were members of a, of a small club in, in Richardson, Texas called Canyon Creek Country Club. And uh, it didn't, it didn't take long for my parents to understand that uh, I had a talent and an ability to play and the hand eye was there. And they just kind of dropped me off, you know, when they could. And I would pick up my bag of, of mix and match golf clubs and go out and walk nine holes at a young age. And, you know, it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot that that fed into obviously junior golf and amateur golf, college golf and professional golf. But that was kind of like the, you know, like the stepping stone for me or like, or maybe the first mm-hmm. step, um, of getting me into the game of golf. And I think when I was nine years old, I won the junior club championship at, at Canyon Creek country club. And I won by nine or 10 stro- strokes or something like that. Now who knows what I shot? It was probably very high, but <laughs> at the time, maybe the talent <laughs> level wasn't that great, but I won and I got right. a taste of it. And, you know, as a young right. kid, you know, in, in any, in any sport, you know, that's important. And, you know, obviously yep. when you go out with your father uh, or it might be your mother or it might be your older brother, things of that nature, I got the taste of it. And it pretty much stuck for, you know, for a long time, obviously, you know, throughout my career. 
was there a point now obviously that looks like that was sort of a catalyst for you that was as you said sort of the yes. first taste of hey i can i can get out there and i can do this what was it what was what was the thought process or how did you make the decision to say okay because um, you're you're far from tour level at that point but you you obviously recognize that you have enough talent hey i, I won the uh you know i won this event so obviously i i'm i'm a pretty good player and you know, with with more work and more training and things, I might get a little bit further mm-hmm. on. What was the conversation that you had with yourself and or your parents that said, okay, you know what, I want to go to the next stage, which would be into collegiate golf, um, in order to you know maybe test my medal at a little bit higher level. Was there a conversation, or sure. that just sort of naturally flow? I think it naturally flowed. Uh, I got I got very lucky from the standpoint that I think when I was uh, let's say 10 to 12 years old, uh, we happened to live uh, behind Cheryl Park uh, Public Golf Course in Richardson. And we lived right on the golf course. And I was able, after every day at, at school, you know, obviously get your homework done, things like that, grab a snack. But I was able to go out every day. And we backed up to a par five. And I would play the rest of that par five. The next hole was a par three. And then the other hole was a par four. And that green came right back to my house. So I literally Ted, oh, wow. for I can't I can't imagine days and days and days would do that over and over and over to hit shot after shot after shot probably a lot of bad shots you know at that time but you know that's the great thing about golf is I would hit that that one awesome chip or that one awesome putt or that amazing drive that felt so good that it just kept me coming back and that's the beauty of golf, golf. and I, and I think you know on top of that. After that, Ted, I, I was blessed with an opportunity uh, to be a member at, at Brookhaven Country Club for a few years, and the uh, same club that Jordan Spieth grew up at, same club that Brian Watts, Scotty Burplink, uh, mm. who I'm missing somebody, Andrew McGee grew up at as well. Uh, but I was very blessed with some very close friends, Blake Pollard, Jay Pollard, Mark Pollard, Brandon Huffman, and I ended up playing high school golf with a lot of these guys, and obviously AJJ and junior golf with them. Um, but you know, just all of us pushing each other was a huge point in my life. If I look back on it, you know, to look at, you know, how I created, you know, this career for myself, which, you know, Hey, it it was great. I I loved it. It's not, you know, we're not talking about Phil or Tiger, obviously they're outliers, Sure. but you know, what I created was an awesome niche for myself with very close friends of mine that also loved the game of golf and, I learned from their experiences just as much as they learned from my experiences. And, and those, those experiences on, in a whole really developed myself into a better golfer. They just did. Uh, we pushed each other every day. And, yeah, we goofed around what 13, 14-year-old doesn't, right? But <laughs> right, we really right. loved the game. We really got into the game. We really enjoyed playing the game and I think there's you know there's times now that are that are you know that's lost on right and I remember back in the day that we really enjoyed being out there and it was fun and it was enjoyable and you know those moments in my life I look back on and it's something that for me Ted as a you know former professional golfer that I can instill in my own children you know I got an eight-year-old and a six-year-old who you know love the game of golf and I remember those days and so, it, right. you know, I, I rely a lot on those 
memories that I had with the Pollard brothers and Brandon Huffman. And um, I can't say enough about it. It, it really, it really gave me a landscape uh, of what my life would look forward to as, as I, as I got into, you know, major junior golf and college golf and then, and amateur and obviously professional. Was turning professional, was that early on your radar? Was there a point that you said, I definitely want to turn pro? Uh, or again, was it, it was. more happenstance? It just, okay, go ahead. No, it was. Yeah, no, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, and that's, no. a, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, I think a lot of kids now, you know, you and I know, but we both know the landscape of sports and Mm-hmm. These kids that choose one sport now as opposed to what it was when I grew up, obviously what it was when you grew up. And right. it was very evident, you know, you know, outside of maybe playing baseball at a high level, uh, I, I, I filtered myself towards golf. And I had that, that group of guys that, that I had referenced before that really pushed me to that and as, as well as I pushed them. And you just knew. I, I think you just knew. You just knew, you're like, I'm going to play college golf. I'm going to work my tail off. I'm going to do this. Now, at that point, Ted, you know, once you got a scholarship to play Division One college golf and, and I had success, I didn't know. I mean, I probably did once I got to the University of Houston and with, with Mike Dirks as my head coach and, you know, his tutelage, uh, Randy Smith as my teacher for – he was my teacher for over 26 years, his tutelage, right. things of that nature, you, pre- you pretty much didn't have any other option. You just knew that you're like, okay, <laughs> I got to try this. I at least got to give it a shot, right? So, I mean, right. I, I, definitely, I, I definitely think I knew it at a young age. And, and that's, that's a testament to, uh, and not really myself, but, again, the guys that I surrounded myself with, um, obviously, my mm-hmm. parents um, being able and capable of giving me that opportunity, that was a, a huge catalyst in me, you know, playing professional golf or, or even just college golf and amateur golf and obviously leading into professional golf. So, um, but, you know, to answer your question in a roundabout kind of way, Ted, I, I think I did. I, I think I knew that I had an ability, that I had, you know, a, a certain set of hands as a left-hander, especially, it's it's funny, you know, we, we talk about left-handed golfers. I mean, it's a lot of them have great, great pair of hands. And I was blessed mm-hmm. with a with an awesome set of hands to create different shots and, and things of that nature. And, you know, coupled with all the people around me and the opportunities that, that my parents gave me, um, not to mention my work ethic, and I started at a young age with that work ethic, you know, it really panned out, and, you know, here I am. You know, obviously had a had a wonderful career of, you know, almost two decades. And, you know, it, it sounds to me, as you're describing this, that really it was your choice. You know, we, we often hear so much with and nowadays in junior golf where, you know, somebody obviously shows a certain amount of talent, and the parents become, you know – and I hate to use this, but more overbearing, and it becomes about what the parents want and not so much the child. But it sounds to me, um, sure. certainly I, I can assure there was, I'm sure, a lot of encouragement and, 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 and support in that, but it sounds to me that this was really your decision to move forward in that and not because of outside pressure. Would that be accurate? 
Yeah, I, I think so. I think any athlete at any level, whether it's a – and don't take this the wrong way, you know, the audience, but a, a t-ball kid or whatever it might be, you know, parents struggle. They just do. I mean, I struggle with my kids of, of saying the right things yeah. and, and acting the right way. And, you know, I'll never forget that, you know, my dad was one of those guys who, you know, being a, a you know, a professional athlete and playing baseball and, and, and a gifted athlete, not so much golf, but, you know, in the game of baseball, uh, he was one of those guys that, you know, there were numerous times Ted, that, that I would be, whether I'd be playing a college golf tournament or an amateur golf tournament or even young in my career playing a Hooters event or an Adams event, whatever, and he would come watch. And I did something stupid, which, you know, typically happens when you're young. It happens multiple times, right? It happens at the professional level. It happens on the PGA Tour. It just does. And I would look over at my dad, and he would do this thing where he would take his finger and he would point at his head and jam it into his, like, you know, like his, his brain. And his point was, think about what you're doing. And at a young yeah. age, Ted, I I lost it. I would have enough. I had enough of that. Please don't yeah. do that to me. I'm doing my best out here. And one, you know, maybe that's on me. But I would, I would take the high road and literally tell him to leave the golf course. And when I look yeah. back at look, when I look back at it in hindsight, it was not the right thing to do. Because my dad's out there supporting me. He would support me financially. He would support me emotionally. He would support me physically. He would support me monetarily to get me the golf clubs, especially being left-handed, which were very difficult growing up. And But mm-hmm. you always had that. Like every athlete has that moment of things that their mother or their father, you know, really kind of bothered them with. And that's sure. on us as athletes to overcome that. And I will say that, you know, in time, I overcome that. I, or, excuse me, I overcame that. I've had my moments. I've had my moments with my wife of even being at the highest right. level and her being out there watching me of her, of me saying to her, Hey, I, I, I just, I can't have you watch this debacle. Can you please go inside? And, and that's right. a tough thing. And, uh, sure. but, but it is, it, it's real. It's, it's very real within the golf industry, not the golf industry, but you know, within junior golf, within amateur golf, college golf, professional golf, it happens. And, it's something I've definitely learned, uh, learned from uh, moving forward. And it's, you know, in all honesty, Ted, it's made me a better, not only a better man, but a better husband and a better father. You know, it's interesting you say that, and, and then I'm going to move on. But, you know, sure. I, I look at that actually, in all honesty, a very mild case of exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, you know, obviously to you at the time, it was, it was, it was not, but, you know, when I look at how some of these parents are, you know, corralling them into um, different golf schools and, you know, putting them with some of the best teachers in the world and it's just a constant pressure cooker, um, I think that this is where, you know, some of these young – and that's why I asked you the question, if, if it was more your thought process of, you know, I want to give this a shot, I want to get out there. And, again, you obviously had the support of your family and – and, and, you know, particularly sure. your parents and, and, uh, and later on your, your wife and that. Um, but I think with junior golf, I think one of the issues that I see now is it's not so much the child making the decision. 
hey, I, I want to give this a shot. It's, it's more the parent saying, no, we're going to put you here. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And it's sort of living vicariously through that child. And I think that's no the difference that I'm talking about. And, and, and again, obviously, you're right. I mean, anything that we, we do growing up, um, you know, we're, we're looking for a certain amount of support and approval and whatnot. And, and sometimes it doesn't always go, go the way we plan at the time. And it can be a little frustrating. So I know exactly, I hear exactly what you're saying. I, I want to skip to, um, uh, go ahead. I sounds like you want to make a point. Yeah, no, no, I just, yeah, just elaborate on that. Let me, let me just give you a quick story is that I was, you know, I was 13 years old. I started refing at the YMCA and I refed soccer games and some baseball games, but mostly soccer. And I started out pre-K, K, first and second grade, and then worked my, I think I worked, I think I worked up to second grade by the time I graduated high school. But there was an instance, Ted, when I was, and this is, this is embarrassing, but I'll, I'll admit it. Uh, I think maybe my senior year in high school, I had a parent, you know, obviously just flat out yelling at me on the sidelines. And I'm over there, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. throwing my, my whistle and blah, blah, blah. And the dad just said, he's not offside. Yet. I was like, yes, he is offside. And both, and he just said, I, and I looked at him and I said, which one's your son? And he goes, that guy right there, number nine. I goes, he's terrible. Put him in the band. And that's awful. And I got suspended for a certain amount of months right. because I obviously completely overstepped my boundaries. But like, right. my point is, Ted, that was 1996. And you can imagine right. a parent in 1996 to where what we're dealing with now in 2021 of how these parents yeah. have the influence in their kids, good, bad, or indifferent, I don't care. Yeah. But that's the influence that the parents have. And it's up to the parents, mm-hmm. obviously, to you know, just step up and be like, hey, I'm just going to do the best I can and, and watch my kid play. And, and that's a hard thing, right? As a parent, I'm a parent. Yeah. It's a hard thing. Mm-hmm. It's tough. I'm a father. I, I watch my kids play sports. But that being said, I was completely way out of line. I just thought I'd throw that nugget in there of a terrible experience. And I, I didn't make any money for like the next two months. So they wouldn't let me coach soccer games. <laughs> well, you know what? We, we've all been down that path in some way, uh, shape, or fashion, I can guarantee we you. We have, no doubt, um, no doubt. And, uh, but that's, you know, that's how we learn in, in life. But um, thank you for sharing that. Talk a little bit about tour life, and, and I mean, I, you don't have to get into all the specifics, but I, I think a lot of people, you know, look at it, they glorify it, and it's it, certainly there's a lot of good times and a lot of things, but it, it's not as easy, and I'm not talking from the playing st- stability, but I don't think the, the average amateur really understands what's involved in playing a tour event, um, not just the financial side of it, but so forth. Maybe you could just kind of gloss over a little bit of just what it's like out there on tour for some of these guys. And, and particularly when you played, you know, what was it like? I mean, getting to the events and, and doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a, that's a wonderful question, Ted. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm not going to say it's not a loaded question, right? But it, it's a wonderful <laughs> question. It, it's a question that's, uh, you know, um, one, hard to answer, two, in the eyes of the beholder. And, you know, when I look through it through my lens and my eyes of what I experienced, obviously, you know, at the end of the day, it was phenomenal and wonderful, whether I played good or bad. Uh, being said, it's a lot. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's funny, my, my rookie year on tour in 2006, Ted, I got approached by Avid Golfer, Avid Golfer Magazine in Dallas. 
and I can't remember the name of the you know the the publisher or the producer of it, but he asked me to do a month by month, basically a biography, like a you know like a mm-hmm. three page paragraph of what you experienced that month. And right. you know I remember writing it. I remember writing you know numerous things down, and and I had help of people like Paul Sankowski and. Uh, Chris Cox, uh, Justin Leonard, Harrison Frazier, you know, the Dallas guys that, uh, you know, that I knew and and I grew up with at at Roy Lowe's Country Club. But, you know, writing that was even difficult of trying to put your experiences on paper. And I'll never forget, like, my first event, I didn't get in the Sony Open and I didn't get in Palm Springs. And then I went to Torrey Pines and I think it was the Buick Open or Buick Invitational at the time. And I got in on a Tuesday afternoon, and tea times had come out on Tuesday, you know, mid-morning. And I was finishing a, a practice round, and I was third alternate at the beginning of the day. And then I got in the tournament. Mark Hensby had pulled out. And sorry, I hope I'm not getting long-winded here, but uh, no. he was an A-wave player. Uh, he had finished top four or top ten at every major the previous year, every single one of them. And so he was what we call an A-wave player. And, you know, typical rookies on tour, typical Monday qualifiers, they're what we call a D-wave player. So they're going to be the last tee time. And, of course, tee times had already come out. So uh, Mark had pulled out, and I believe it was me, Ernie Els, and Jeff Ogilvy. And we had the same tee time. If you don't, if you, if you don't mind me telling the story, it's a really cool story. It'll be really cool yeah, go for ahead. the audience. So my my – my first event ever on the PGA Tour was Torrey Pines. The first round of golf I'm ever going to play is on the north course at Torrey. And I go look at the tee times, and, of course, I see my name there with Ernie and, and Jeff, and we're teeing off number one of the north course. Well, guess who's teeing off number 10? Tiger, Sergio, and Stuart Appleby. So I am playing wow. my first round of golf ever on the PGA Tour Opposite tees, obviously, but same golf course, same conditions, right, if you will, against mm. the best player, arguably, of all time. You know, you can put 1A or 1B with him and Jack, whatever, whoever wants to do that. Mm-hmm. And, obviously, Sergio and, and, and Stewart. And uh, to make a long story short, I shot 70. I shot 200 par 70, and Tiger shot 71. So the first round of golf I ever played on the PGA Tour, same tee time, same golf course, I beat Tiger Woods. And that's something hmm. that I will go to my grave with, right? Like I will tell my right. my kids, AJ and Austin, <laughs> I will tell their grandkids that I did this. And they might look at me and be like, well, AJ was much better. He won three majors, right? Because my, my young son, right, is, right. He's, he's got a gift, but <laughs> cool moment. And then I'll fast, right. I'll, I'll fast forward to the next day. And, you know, I, I shot 200. I'm going to the South course and I'm feeling all great, Ted. And, it's, you know, 75 degrees out in San Diego, and, you know, I'm feeling good about my game, and I think I was tied for, like, 25th going into the second day. And I get to the 18, and Tiger's passing through. I'm passing over 17 to get to 9, or 18, and he's passing through 8 to get to 9, and it's a complete cluster. There's people everywhere. And uh, I hit driver. I had to lay up. I had a perfect number, like 115 to a back right pin, and I cold shanked a gap wedge. Mm into the stands and Andy Sanders, who now caddies for Lonto Griffin, who caddied for Jimmy Walker for 10 years. He won the, uh, the 
2016 PGA with uh, Jimmy at uh, Baltus Roll, and Andy was my roommate and teammate at the University of Houston and a fine player in his own right, played in two US, U.S. Opens. I He was on my bag that week, and, I mean, I, I cold-shanked it, Ted, and this guy jumps up from, like, the 10th row and catches my ball, and the crowd just goes nuts. <laughs> And I'm standing there, and I turn around, and Andy is looking at me, shaking his head like, oh, my gosh, what have you just done? And Ernie's over there like, this, this kid's terrible. Why is he even out here? Kind of kind of like that kind of right. look, right? <laughs> right. And, you know, I, I'll tell you what, the, I don't care what, what any golfer says. and I mean, you could probably have a panel discussion about this, but the, the hardest shot in golf, it's not the 60-yard bunker shot. It's not the 80-yard bunker shot. It's the shot after you shank a golf shot. And yep. unfortunately, that ball that that guy caught is still in play. So he walks mm. down the stairs, and everybody's cheering for him, and people are having libations and having a good time. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon in San Diego at 75 degrees. And he had to hand me that golf ball, and I, I think I reluctantly signed him a glove. But I had to drop my ball over that front left, pond on set on 18 at Torrey Pine. So we'll all get a taste of right. that in about three weeks here at the U.S. Open. But I can't tell you how – I mean, I literally don't know how I pulled the club back on that shot and because, again, the ball was still in play, so I get a free drop, and I hit it to about 15 feet, and I made the putt for par, and the crowd wow. went nuts. And it's probably one of the coolest moments – like it, whether whether I had a wonderful career on tour or not, like that was one of the most amazing moments uh, of playing professional golf. Of like what you talked about earlier, of all the moments you spent with your dad, mm-hmm. or or even your yep. mom for the listener, but all or, or your friends at a certain club. It it culminated in that of just such a cool moment that I experienced, and it was a terrible moment. It was an embarrassing moment. But it was mm-hmm. it was still fun nonetheless. Well, and you learn so much from from moments like that, and that's one of the things you know. I've always said golf mimics life in so many ways. You know, we always have ups yep. and downs in in our our own life, and that, and you know, what you learn off the golf course can actually translate to the golf course and how you handle things. Whether you're, you know, um, allowing. I mean, you could have turned that into a horrible i mean it was uh, you know certainly embarrassing and at the time i'm sure you felt horrible but ultimately it came out okay because you ended up parring the hole um but it could have been much worse so it, it was a teachable moment if you will you know to coin a phrase sure. um but it was a, a moment that actually has sort of a double role it, it it you remember it in some ways as a challenging moment but at the same time, it was also rewarding because it was a, a long-lasting memory of both positive and obviously some negative, but mainly positive. Yeah. It was a, a good experience, and it allowed you to move forward and continue on through your career and saying, you know what, yeah, I'm going to hit some crappy shots every once in a while, um, but I know that I, I can be okay as well. I can come out of this, and I can recover, and that helps you moving forward um, you know, as you pr- progress in your career. And, um, yeah, no, you know, that's no doubt something that. I, and I, 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 sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I, I, I totally agree. I totally agree with you that the, the humbleness of it is, uh, it's very lasting if you will. And, but you have to let it be lasting. Like you have to draw from it, 
I think, you know, failure is a huge part of golf. Like you have to learn to sure. fail. You have to learn through that failure that creates that, that positivity within your mind, within your, with your mindset, how, how you approach the game, things of that, how you approach your practice, things of that nature. And it, it was a, a very humbling experience. And on top of that, yeah, you know, just take one guess who won the 2006 Buick Open. <laughs> Tiger yeah. Woods, of yep. course. So, well, you can, I mean, at least you can you know, say you, you just, beat him you the first round. You put your place very quickly. <laughs> I did at, beat him. At I, least you can so say I, I got, I got you, that that's one. right. That's right. You got him in the first round. Yep. All right, let's um, – I, I, I want to, so that we don't run out of time, um, very so quickly, f- Phil's win um, – what are your thoughts there? You know, 50 years old in a major championship, obviously a pressure cooker um, to say the least. Um, you know, some people might look and say, you know, Phil hasn't done a whole heck of a lot here in the last few years, very little, uh, you know, com- for, for a few years and comes back and, and, you know, takes the tournament. What are your thoughts? And a lefty to boot. Well, the people, you know, the, the people who say that, Ted, are, are extremely narrow-minded. I mean, how do you sit mm-hmm. there and, I mean, that that's, that's the crux of the general public sometimes that doesn't I focus on, on pure ability and, and pure just mastery of the game and, and, and what Phil has done in the game. You know, obviously being a lefty, I'm, uh, you know, I'm partial. And, uh, you know, I, I had lunch with Phil in my rookie year in 2006 in New Orleans. And uh, I knew Tim very well. Uh, Tim played at Arizona State just like his his older brother did, and Tim was Tim was a good player in his own right. And I saw Tim, you know, here and there uh, at college events uh, at the University of Houston. I, I want to say Tim is two years older than me, but I remember sitting down and having lunch in New Orleans, and I was sitting by myself, and Phil sat down, and the conversation was remarkable. It was fantastic, and it was. Um, you know, stuff that I'll never forget and stuff, you know, that maybe I like to keep to myself, if you don't mind. Sure. But, um, yeah. It was, you know, lefty to lefty. It was so cool. So, you know, fast fast forward, I'm watching the golf tournament, you know, this, this weekend and uh, on Sunday especially, and I'm watching with my, my eight-year-old and my six-year-old son and my six-year-old son is left-handed and he's got some skill. He, he's got, uh, he's got a gift that, uh, that I can tell you I didn't have at the age of six years old. And he is screaming at the TV, Phil, Phil, Phil. And he's watching it and he's watching <laughs> it transpire and, he, and he's engaged. And whether that, you know, has any merit down the road, it doesn't matter. It, it's a, it was such a cool moment, you know, sure. father to son and even my eight year old as well, but father to son of watching that. It, it, it brought me back to the moments that I, my dad watched me hit golf balls mirror image Mm -hmm. because I wanted to be left-handed because I wanted my dad to watch me hit balls, which is the exact same thing that Phil did with his father. So, you know, the irony of that, of watching it with my son was really, really cool. Um, Outside of that, Ted, I mean, I think we're all on the same page here that, uh, you know, outside of the word of remarkable, you know, pick your adjectives. Uh, it, It was, it was, it was spectacular. It was remarkable. It was, it was transcendent, and for me, at the age of 43 years old, you know, it gives you hope, right? It gives you, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say guidance, but it gives you that extra, like, man, you know what? 
I've still got some good golf left to me. I can still do this. I can still compete. Now, of course, I'm not comparing myself to Phil Mickelson, but we all have to sure. have one. We have to have that, you know, that that edge to us. But we also have to have that person that we look up to, you know, even for a short period of time, and say, man, look what he did. And that might really like point all these kids. And think about all the young left-handed kids now you know, outside mm-hmm. of the Canadians, because there's a lot of left-handed Canadians up there, right? Um, right. Weirdly would tell you that. But in the United States, <laughs> like all these young left-handed kids who are just like, wow, they look at that. And whether they're there in person, you know, in Kiwa Island or not, but watching, you know, uh, on CBS, it, it just, it motivated them. And they're probably like, man, I mm-hmm. can do this. I can, and, and that's the greatest thing about this game is that that motivation uh, you know, I tell my kids, and you probably know this as well, but, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I always tell my kids that I will always know where I was 2019 Masters. I will always yep. know where I was um, when Tiger won. And I will probably always know where I was watching what Phil did last Sunday with my children. And it's it's a lasting a lasting image, and I think it will be a lasting Im- impact for not only myself, but, but for my kids as well. Well said. You know, I think really what it says for me, um, you know, I'm a little older than Phil. I'm 57. I certainly have no, you know, visions of grandeur that I'm going to be out there, um, you know, beating Phil or Tiger or anybody else for that matter. But, you know, what it says for me is when you look at somebody, obviously Phil has a tremendous amount of skill um, and uh, at the highest level. But what what it really speaks to me is when you look at some of these young players that have come up to, you know, Bryson and, and uh, you know, Brooks and some of these other guys, you know, power hitters and just phenomenal players, that it's not all just about the skill of hitting the ball just perfectly. It's, it's about sure. mentally managing yourself around that golf course. I mean, you look at Nicholas, look at some of the shots Nicholas hit, certainly some great shots over the year, but he had some pretty crappy ones along the way too. But he just sure. had a sense of, of putting it together. And, you know, so it just goes to show you, you don't have to be, and it certainly, don't get me wrong, Phil is certainly still a, a very long player, but there's guys out there that are yeah. screaming the ball past him. Um, so it's not always about distance. It's not always even about about the most accurate at that particular time. I mean, we've seen Tiger how many times has he come out after a tournament and said, you know what, I wasn't playing my A game and, you know, I missed these putts. I didn't hit that shot very well. And he came out and he blew the field. Um, you know, so, yeah, but he no. just mentally, right, was able to do that. So I want to talk about he a did. couple me, of... Yeah, go ahead. Let me touch on that. Let me touch on that, Ted, because I, I, 100%, I 100% agree with you. And it's amazing that, you know, Jim and, and, and Nick brought it up on, on Sunday listening to the telecast, and it's something that, you know, I, you know, I've worked on for years. And my sports psychologist, Fran Perizzolo, and you've had Fran on the show before uh, in, yep. in the Woodlands and, and dealt with um, numerous top players in the world and um, at the baseball level, the, the football level, and the golf level, and, and you know, his accolades are through the roof, and, and he's a very close friend, and, and I love Fran to death. But one of the main things that, that Fran harped on me was, what's your breathing like? What's your walking mm-hmm. like? And I've told this to some of the young kids at Red Ledges of like, hey, how do you, 
perceive yourself in the round of golf that you're okay. You're going to be out there for, you know, four and a half, five hours, you know, and we talk about, you know, quote unquote, Oh, it's a good walk spoiled. Right. I think the John Feinstein book. Right. And it was remarkable to hear, uh, you know, Nick Faldo and, and uh, Ian Baker Finch and, and Trevor bring this, bring these things up of like, he completely slowed his role. And I thought that was so important um, to mm-hmm. his ultimate success that weekend. And it started on Saturday when I first kind of started watching. I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of Thursday and Friday. And unfortunately, I got a lot of moving parts with baseball and, and boys and right. school and things like that, like, like, a lot of, like a lot of guys do, or a lot of parents do. Mm-hmm. But once I tuned sure. in on Saturday and watched the way he competed within himself, like you could see him compete within himself of like, I'm going to slow myself down. I'm going to chew my gum. I'm going to wear these cool aviator Tom Cruise top gun right. sunglasses. And I'm literally <clears> going <throat> to slow myself down to where I'm going to get to my ball when I'm going to get to my ball. And then you go mm-hmm. through your process. Now the USGA says, or the PGA of America of like, Oh, we got to speed up the game, blah, 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 blah. We're not talking about that. We're talking about one of, you know, the icons of the game, obviously a Hall of Famer and a guy who's won now 45 PGA Tour events and six majors, let him do what he's going to do because this is really cool TV. And that's what stuck yep. out to me is, is you watched him walk and you watched his breathing and they brought it up. And Fran always told me about that years and years and years ago, and I did the best I possibly could. I obviously don't have the skill set that Phil Mickelson does. I don't. But I can tell you right now, Ted, there were numerous times where I got way ahead of myself. Mm-hmm. I got over, over exempt, like, like I, my breathing got too heavy. I was like, I was rushing. I was in a hurry to go nowhere for lack of a better term. And the moment I started selling, settling down and slowing myself down, obviously, at a, you know, obviously at maybe a smaller, you know, level corn Ferry tour, mm-hmm. nationwide tour, web.com tour, if you have, or what have you, but I started to see better results. And when I saw that and still do it at the highest level throughout the weekend, I, I thought it was remarkable. Not to mention that to hold a 36-hole lead, to hold a 54-hole lead, and then to finish at the age of 50 and finish it off with Brooks breathing down your neck, who is a, obviously a phenomenal golfer. We have the same agent, Blake Smith, you know, Hamburg Sports Management, and Blake's one of my best friends. Obviously, I don't, you know, play professional golf anymore, and, but, you know, Blake's been amazing for Brooks and was amazing for me. And, you know, it's not that I was cheering for Phil over Brooks, but it was just so fun to watch. And it was so fun to watch how he calmed his mind down. And I think that's a big point that a lot of kids, you know, are trying to learn the game can really, you know, listen to and take heed of, of, man, maybe this is something I could really focus on or I could work on, especially if you're talented. And I, I just mm-hmm. thought it was spectacular. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, two, er- two final areas I want to uh, touch on uh, tonight while we still have a little bit of time here. Um, one is sure. the, uh, is your short game style. This is an, an area that obviously I know is important to you, and this is something that you know you really emphasize on wanting to teach, but also – um, this was something that you really wanted to focus on. What's your short game style? What, is it, what does short game mean to you? Mm, man, and that's a great question. 
you know, if I got to put it bluntly, Ted, put the ball in the hole. I get, mm-hmm. I don't like to say I get frustrated, but I think a lot of, even tour players, I saw this at the highest level of like, oh, I just, I got to get it here. And I got to, I got to chip it up to two or three feet. And I got to give my, I don't, I don't want to create, I don't want to create my miss to where I'm 10 feet away or 12 feet away. And I'm trying to make that par putt. That's an important par putt, you know, to keep my, my round of golf going. Well, why aren't you trying to make it? Because mm-hmm. I've always been told that's the objective of the game is to make it. Yeah. And so I always prided myself on my short game of, of really harnessing on it. And for me, this goes back, Ted, to getting the opportunity to playing with some of the best in the world when I was on tour and even Corn Ferry tour or, you know, nationwide tour web.com back in the day, because there's so much talent out there. It's remarkable. I mean, you know, look what Will Zalatoris has done. You look at, you know, some of these guys in the mm-hmm. past, what they've done. I mean, they're quality players and they're going to win on tour, no doubt. Um, but even like some of the guys I played with some major winners and I would discuss the short game with them. And for me, it was always the constant of a couple things. It was always grip pressure and it was always ball position. And this is something I preach to an 18 handicap. If you don't have the right ball position, and if your grip pressure is not constant moving through that motion, you're not going to hit the the shot you're trying to hit. Mm -hmm. Short game comes down to, chipping comes down to one thing in my mind, and it's contact. What's your contact like? If your contact is not solid, you're doing something wrong. In my mind, it goes back to those two things, grip pressure and, and ball position. And I got the opportunity to listen to, uh, was it Pete and Tim prior? I think that was. Yes. And, and they yep. hit on a lot of great, great points. And I think they, they didn't dance around the idea, but what they were saying was what I'm saying. is like, okay, set up, right? Okay, great. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to set up to the ball. And he's like, okay, you got to have an open stance. And I totally agree. If I gave you a ball, Ted, and you had a, 15-yard pitch shot or 15-yard chip shot. You wouldn't throw that if I said, put your club down, I'm going to give you the ball, I want you to throw it at the hole. You wouldn't throw that ball with a square standpoint. You wouldn't. You would look at the target, and you would toss it like Mm -hmm. you're tossing a cornhole back. If I gave you a penny and I said, I want you to pitch this penny up against that wall, that wall is behind that that hole, okay? I want you to pitch that penny Mm -hmm. behind the wall. You wouldn't do that from a square standpoint. You would do it from an open standpoint. And I totally agree yep. with what one of them was saying. You have to be able to see, if you will, visually, what you're doing, how you're trying to hit this mm-hmm. golf shot visually. You can't do that from mm-hmm. a square standpoint. But you also can't create great contact if your ball position is not the right, in, in the right area and your grip pressure does not stay constant. Yep. If I have, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with, you know, you know, I don't know if it was Peter or Tim, but if you're in Kentucky Bluegrass, if you're in Georgia on the West Coast, if you're in Bermuda in Texas, and that ball's sitting down, you better damn well have firm grip pressure. And that grip pressure yep. better stay constant all the way through the hitting motion. If you're going to sit there and go light and then try and squeeze coming down, that, ball call, that golf ball's not going to go anywhere. So you have no. to have that grip that grip pressure has to stay constant throughout the entire motion. 
Yeah, that and that's sense. where a lot of yeah, no, that's perfect sense, and that's where a lot of amateurs go wrong. And you know, again, it boils down to this, and this is really what differentiates, in my mind, from the better players and the higher handicap players, is besides the obvious that the better players are out there working on on these different uh, issues that we're talking about here um, a lot more frequently. So they're you know they're they're practicing better. And we're going to talk about that here in just a second. But you know, is, is improper technique is they don't know how to do it properly. Oh, yeah. So they keep doing what they think is the right thing, and it's like sure. you know the old saying about you know doing the same thing and expecting a different result is the definition of yeah. insanity. And this is what happens: Correct. is they, you know, they they're picking up tips from their buddies and they say, well, no, you need to do this, you need to do that. And these people don't really know anything about the game themselves, and they're passing this you know ill-fated knowledge onto their their buddy. And I don't know whether yeah. it's it's okay. planned on purpose because they're trying to take them for a few dollars that day or not. And, and this is the problem: is it's a lack of understanding the proper technique. Um, sure. And once you know all, how to do all things, doing, all you're, all you're right. doing Go ahead. is practicing a bad habit. All you're doing exactly. is practicing a bad habit. Right. Exactly. How do you get and, out of and that? And this is Right. And and this is what you you have to do is once you have it's like anything you know if you're if you're driving in um, you know a, a long nail and you're using uh, you know, a, a little kid's hammer, it's going to be a little bit harder than if you have, uh, you know, a bigger hammer and, you know, that sort of thing. Or if you need something where you need to break concrete, and you need a sledgehammer and you've got it handheld, it's going to be that much more difficult. It's the same sort of analogy is sure. if you don't have the right tools, you're not going to be able to perform the function correctly. And it's not just a matter of the equipment. It's a matter of the tools and the toolbox. And that is the understanding on how to execute the shots correctly to get the desired results, no which, which no brings doubt. me to what I alluded to, uh, and that is practice routine, practicing the right things. And, and again, talking about some of the adjustments that amateurs can make to improve that. So let's first talk about a practice routine. You see guys all the time, I'm sure in pro-ams when you play, they get out there and they're on the range, they're just raking and banging balls out there without any sense of purpose. Uh, and sure. a lot of them aren't practicing the right things. Touch on that a little bit. What should they be practicing to get the best result? Obviously, first and foremost, let's go back to what we just said. They need to be practicing the right things, the right movements, the right motions, so on and so forth. But more importantly, uh, or in addition, rather, is they need to be practicing the right things that are going to give them the desired result, and they need to put together an effective practice routine. This is something that you work on, I know, with students, and this is something you did for your own career. Give us an overview. Yeah, uh, you know, another great question, Ted. I mean, I think, you know, the, the amount of pro-ams that I played for, you know, X amount of years, you saw it extensively of, you know, the, the lack of, again, you know, you're dealing with, let's say, five to 20 handicappers. And, you know, it goes it goes back to, a lot of these amateurs going to the driving range and the first thing they grab is the driver. And, hey, mm-hmm. that's all well and good. Like, I, you know, if that's what you want to do, great. I'm not going to stop you. It depends on, you know, like where they want to get better. But I will say this, and this is something that I wanted to touch on with you, Ted, is that of all the the, the best players in the world that I got a chance to come around or, or even Corn Ferry players and things like that, I got a, a very – a very interesting comment or, or feeling from all of them. Justin Leonard told me this. 
he said, never stop working at what you're exceptional at. Mm -hmm. And everything else will feed into the other parts of your game. Now, we're talking, you know, obviously a high level, right? Okay, like, okay, the, you know, sure. the best in the world or you're playing at the high level and things like that. How do we, you know, reduce that down um, into the amateur game? And I, I, think, I think it boils down to a few things. Short game-wise, you know, if you're an amateur out there listening and you're struggling with your short game, I've given you the bullet points, grip pressure, ball position, but here's what you do. You go to your country club or your municipal golf course or your driving range, whatever, anything that's accessible to you, you grab three or four balls and you move around the green. You create different shots. You don't sit there and drop an entire bucket of balls and hit the same golf shot over and over and over. You're not, I mean, great. Right. Okay, maybe you're teaching yourself, maybe you're teaching yourself contact. Great. Okay, take that contact and grab four balls and move around to hit different shots. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest things, you know, myself and, and you know, Braden Smith, who, who caddied for me for a long time on tour, you know, when I was out in practice rounds, I would literally, you know, hit a, a wedge or a nine iron or eight iron into a shot. And if it was mm -hmm. 10 feet or I missed the green, it didn't matter. I would grab three or four balls and I would move around that green and just hit different chips. Not so much from the standpoint, Ted, that I thought I was going to miss that green during the week, mm -hmm. but I right. did it because I wanted to work on what I was exceptional at. I wanted, I wanted to expand that knowledge of knowing full well that if I didn't hit it great that next day or, or the following day, whatever it might have been, that I can still I can make that chip. I can, I can hold that mm -hmm. shot. I can get up and down from there, and it's not, a, it's not an issue, and I can move on to the next hole, and then I can hit some awesome golf shots at six feet and make it for birdie and move on to the next hole, things of that nature. So right. the mentality changes once you prepare yourself in the right manner, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and it makes but perfect think, sense because you know, we there, see – Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say we see – yeah, we see very quickly. We see a lot of – uh, amateur golfers uh, again out the, the range, and they're not practicing with any sense of purpose. They're not practicing real uh, live, uh, you know, examples of what they're going to be facing out on the golf course. They're, you know, again raking, hitting the same shot all the time, and so they, they've got to mix it up because you know you're not going to have a perfect lie. Uh, you know, very seldom you're going to have a perfect lie. In fact, but you know, nine times out of ten, you might be faced with with a different situation. Um, then, you know, this perfectly flat, uh, you know, even lie and, you know, teed up ball. And if you're hitting that same shot again and again and again, I'm not saying you don't need to work on some of those too, but uh, to keep those fresh. But if you're not creating different situations that you may be faced with out in the golf course and working on and practicing those, then when you get out there and you're faced with them, you're not going to know what to do and you're not going to know how the ball is going to react um, you know, whether it be on the putting surface or whether it be a chip or a pitch or what have you. And this is where I think a lot of amateur golfers make the mistake. But, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just wanted to mention that because, no, you're fine. Uh, again, I think, I, I, I think this is where a lot of – yeah, go ahead. I, I totally agree with you, Ted. I, mean, it, what I, I call it situational golf. Like you're going to have situations within the game of golf, within the five hours, four and a half hours that you're out there that you're not dealt with. Now, I'm not saying, oh, let me go practice a – 30, 40 yard bunker shot because that happens once a month, even at the tour level, maybe twice a month. So, you know, and those guys are obviously more skilled, but 
you have to prepare yourself in certain avenues to give yourself the best chance to succeed. And that starts with your work ethic, what you're trying to do, even at an amateur level. And again, keep working on what you're exceptional at. If you're an exceptional mm-hmm. putter, keep putting those those five-footers. I'll, I'll tell a story that um, I want to say it was 2000, man, maybe 2004, 2003. Uh, I Monday qualified. I didn't have my tour card yet. I was, I was still out playing mini tour golf, but I Monday qualified for um, – the event outside of Minnesota. It was Tom Lehman's design. It was a great golf course. And Andy Sanders was playing for Jimmy Walker at the time. And, of course, Andy was my roommate and teammate. So he was like, congratulations on Monday qualifying. Let's go play a practice round. So Jimmy and I played. And we had finished, you know, the practice round. We were on the on the putting green. And he was doing a putting drill. And I was like, oh, this, is, this looks cool. What is it? So he explained it to me. And, you know, great for, you know, J-Dub for explaining this to me because I've done it. I did it the rest of my entire career. It's a great thing for amateur for amateur golfers. I call it the three, four, five. And you put four pegs, you know, like uh, three feet away, you know, one at mm-hmm. one point and like like a like a circle, but you know, two opposite, mm-hmm. you know, like a right. like a like a like a plus sign. Okay, so like the plus sign, the hole right. in the middle, the plus sign. You know, you know, there's a there's a T on each side, and you go from three yep. feet. And you have to make three from that one, and you move to the next one. You got to make three from that one, you know, on, at three feet, and it goes to four feet, and it goes to five feet. If you miss a three footer, you go back to the previous one. So the idea yeah. is, is obviously, you know, outside of your lower back starting to hurt, which it did numerous times, but <laughs> you're seeing the golf ball go in. So you're seeing yep. this repetitive motion of a golf ball go in the hole, whether it's three feet, four feet, or five feet, it doesn't matter. And the moment of excitement, when you finish those three, four, five, and you get to five feet and you make all 12 of those five footers after you've made your three and four footers, it is a huge sense of accomplishment. And I did it every yeah. Wednesday at every event. Braden and I did it every Wednesday. John Finn and I did it every Wednesday when I was on tour. Scott Brady and I did it every Wednesday. These are different caddies of mine, but um, mm-hmm. Mark, Mark Crundon, you know, he, he passed away. God bless his soul. But we did, we did all of mm. these every Wednesday. And so it put that taste in my mouth going into a Thursday that I knew how to make a three footer, a four footer and a five footer, because I saw, I saw so many golf balls go in the hole. And that's a huge yep. thing for amateurs to pick up on. Just do a simple thing like that. And it can really transform your putting game. Yeah. And then that's, you know, so much of the short game, evolves around the on the putting surface and again so many don't practice with any sense of purpose you know bj you and i've talked about we're we're almost out of time so we're gonna i'm gonna have to wrap it up but i just want to mention this because i know we talked about it uh yesterday is you know obviously as i've mentioned on air before to to the folks um i'm developing a a new network called the iGolf sports network and one of the things that you and i talked about is bringing some of the very things that we're talking about here tonight about the short game and about practice and so forth uh, these are things that, you know, areas that you really uh, are strongly uh, in support of and, and wanting to get out there to a lot of uh, amateur golfers and helping them. And we're going to put together as one of the channels on the iGolf Sports Network is something that you're going to uh, put together and uh, and bring yes, sir. Um, in, in video format so that people can see some of the very things, uh, not just about how to hit the shots, but just really about how to organize yourself in such a way 
yeah. that's going to give you the greater chance of success. And that's really what it's all about. It's, it's almost like a payback from your time out on tour and all your experiences and what you've learned, and you're trying to share that with the average golfer out there to make it less stressful for them and make it more enjoyable for them in the long run, right? Yeah, and, and to your point, Ted, I mean, obviously, I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm blessed with the opportunity. Um, I think it's a wonderful platform for me, um, myself, and, and Paul Pugmire, who I do a podcast with, uh, John Papour, Red Ledges. You know, I'm excited to to get this to get some some different, you know, certain techniques or bullet points or simple like simple things that, you know, the 15 handicapper can pick up on. I'm excited to get these things out, and obviously, I'm excited to be a part of uh, iGolf Network at some point. And again, man, I'm I'm just uh, I'm very grateful and and uh, thankful for the opportunity to come on, and I look forward to coming on again. Well, for sure, um, we're going to do that, and I, I appreciate you coming yes, on sir. tonight and sharing uh, your thoughts and, and your um, beginnings, if you will, on, on getting to where you are today. And, and I, know that, uh, um, I know that the audience uh, is going to enjoy uh, those that join live and those that will listen on a little bit later on are going to enjoy some yep. of the, the stories that you've shared. And, and uh, we're going to get into more. I'll have you back again for sure, and we'll get into more about the short game and, and maybe give some specifics and, and, uh, and more detail of what we're talking about here. But uh, this is something we're going to bring to the iGolf Sports Network uh, th- later this year uh, when, it, when it fully no develops, and uh, I'm happy to have you part of it as well. And very quickly, um, I, I know that you're doing some work at Red Ledges uh, Golf Club. If, if any uh, folks that are in your area are going to be, uh, you know, that want to reach out to you and 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 maybe uh, get some help with their game. Is there uh, what's the best way they can connect with you? Yeah, RedLedges.com. Uh, John Pavor is the director of golf. Derek Butts is the head professional. I, I work up there, you know, periodically. My hands are kind of tied with my my children right now, but that's okay. Uh, right. It's a wonderful spot. It's a wonderful club, and and you know, John's been amazing to me uh, as opposed to or not as opposed, but the entire staff. Um, from JR to Tyler to Nate, um, boy, all of them, Ryan, Aaron, Jen, um, they're all amazing people. And, you know, Red Ledges is a wonderful place. If you're ever looking to come up to Park City or, or Heber City, uh, it's a fantastic a fantastic venue and, and a great golf club and, and wonderful people. And it's a Nicholas Design course, as I understand, too, right? It is. It is. It's a Nicholas uh signature and Jim McLean, who's a former University of Houston mm-hmm. Cougar like myself, has a school of golf yep. up there and, and, and Jim's awesome. He comes up uh you know during the summer and does some clinics and things like that. And you know, I you know, if if if, if you're listening and you want to come up, you know, we'd love to have you. I will teach you not how to shank it on number eighteen at Tory Pines. <laughs> I can literally try and help you with that golf shot because that is not a shot we all want to hit. No, for sure. Well, BJ, thank you very much for joining me this evening on, on Golf Talk Live. Yes, it's been a pleasure and an honor to have you uh, here. And I will definitely have you, uh, you come back and, and we'll continue the conversation. And uh, obviously we'll be in touch with you here in the next little bit uh, to further our discussion on iGolf as well. But uh, thank you very much for joining me and, and God bless and much continued success in your career. And I look forward to working with you more in the future. And of course, having you back here on Golf Talk Live. You got it, Ted. Take care, buddy. God bless. You too. Bye-bye. All right, my very special guest, uh, PGA uh, Touring Professional and uh, currently assistant golf professional at the Red Ledges Golf Club uh, in Heber, uh, Utah. You can find him there. 
and uh, enjoy the conversation. BJ Staten, thank you for joining me this evening on Golf Talk Live. All right. Also, a special thanks again to the guys on the panel tonight, uh, Pete Buchanan and Tim Kramer. Thanks, guys, for always bringing your best. Uh, and I look forward to you guys joining me on a future panel as well. Um, on that note, thank you, everybody, for joining this evening. If you missed the live broadcast, go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live and scroll down to the on-demand section and you'll see tonight's show front and center there in the on-demand section and you can listen to it in its entirety on the recorded version but on that note i will see you next week thanks everybody for tuning in i will see you next week right here on golf talk live god bless everybody thanks for joining us we hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of golf talk live We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five but if you want to hone in on those winning moves check out Chumba Casino at ChumbaCasino.com choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes there are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses so don't wait start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary BDW void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus